0: Amen. Remain standing for the reading of the word this morning from the eighth chapter of Matthew, beginning at verse 18. We're picking up where we left off last Lord's Day, continuing down through verse 27. Now hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus saw the multitudes about him, he gave command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Our gracious Father, As we come this day, needing to be revived in our spirit with the gospel of grace, we confess we too are fearful people of little faith. And we pray that through the preaching of this message and the hearing with our hearts of faith, that you would strengthen us, that that we would please you on the inside as much as on the out. And we ask that your spirit would attend these things and apply this truth to us liberally, showing us the specific application. Lord, we pray even for the author of the song that we just sang, that you would bring true repentance and salvation to this man who's written so much beautiful music, so tremendous in text, and yet who is not a true disciple. So we pray that you would help us this day to be mindful of those around us, to those who need Christ, but also to take an inventory ourselves, that we would look at ourselves and face the issues of every would be disciple. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is a section that is contained in itself. And Matthew, as I've mentioned, is not addressing these things chronologically, but rather theologically. And he has identified this section as a whole. We have three parts to it. This follows on the heels of three miracles in chapter 8. And as we consider what is before us, we need to consider what every disciple and every would-be disciple will have to face regarding issues when it comes to following Jesus. So whether you're a fairly committed follower of Jesus, or whether you are uncertain about this, or whether you are weak or not even a follower at all, you have to consider some issues this morning that we all must face. In this passage, we have three things to work through that comes In being a disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Those come from two conversations and one miracle that are grouped together, that Matthew, that the Spirit of God, led Matthew to group together for some reason. And as we begin our journey through this passage, let me just encourage you to keep in mind your first century spectacles, and thinking as a Jew, and perhaps maybe even putting yourself occasionally in the disciples' uh, shoes, as you might be there as one of those 12, listening to Jesus, thinking about what he said, and contemplating what you're observing around you. And then we'll back up from occasionally, and we'll have to consider some very contemporary applications where we live today. You'll see it's both applicable for then as well as it is today. And already in chapter 8, we saw three miracles a message that the Lord is willing and able to deal with all of the effects of sin in our fallen human race to anyone that will come to him. No matter what the problem, Jesus is authorized to deal with all of our issues. And that's the point that Matthew's dealing with here. He is showing us the great king. Now we come to this carefully placed passage where those who will consider following Jesus have some issues that they're going to have to work through. I'm going to have to work through it. You're going to have to work through it. And the first issue comes from that first conversation that Jesus inserts, or Matthew inserts into this particular passage. And if you'll recall, these two conversations with two people actually happened much later chronologically, but Matthew is inserting them here for a very specific point. And the first conversation with the first would-be disciple, with this scribe who comes to him, is addressing the first issue we must all face, and that is this. Are we willing to pay the cost necessary to follow Jesus? Are we willing to pay the cost that may be necessary to follow Jesus? Here comes one of the scribes. He's been following Jesus for some time at some level. It implies that he was a disciple because of what verse 21 says when it says, then another one of his disciples, and he's speaking about the second person at that point, but he's relating this, that the first person, the scribe, was at some level a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And the scribe, all we really know about him is what he was professing that he was willing to do. The key word in this, it says, there came a scribe to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And the key word in that passage, in that response or that declaration of this scribe is wherever. Wherever. Now that sounds like a very unreserved profession of great commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, Lord, I will go. And his profession is revealing that he's willing to ratchet up his commitment to another level. It sounds like a profession that a lot of people today make when they recommit their lives to Christ or when they come to a place in their lives that they commit their lives to go wherever Christ wants them to go, whatever Christ wants them to do. Like being called into the ministry when you didn't think that was really the place that you were going to go, or maybe perhaps you are called to be a missionary and you come to that place where you say, Lord, wherever you. You want me to go, that's where I'll go. But the Lord's answer to him is very significant. It really doesn't sound at all like the kind of answer that we normally give today. Does it? When people respond to would-be disciples that have just made an unreserved Committed profession to the Lord Jesus. Jesus' response is not what we're used to. When it came to himself, Jesus said, I have nowhere to lay my head. And you want to follow me? Now, that does not mean that Jesus did not have a place to sleep. He wasn't saying he had no shelter or any friends that could provide those things. He was at the time settled down in Capernaum and living there. But what he meant is that he had no permanent residence in Galilee or Capernaum or Nazareth or Jerusalem or anywhere in Israel or anywhere on the earth. He had no permanent residence here. And that response raises the issue that we must all grapple with if we are to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And the issue is, how far are you willing to go to be his follower? The most this scribe could ever imagine was, wherever, Lord... But what if you get there and then you discover that you don't have the normal kind of provision that really is common to everyone else, even to the the common Christian? That the most part of people take for granted, what if you get there and you don't have that kind of provision for you because you follow Jesus there? That even the beast of the field and the animals of the forest and the, the birds in the Trees have even more for their comfort in comparison than what you may have. Now are you willing to be a true follower of Jesus? A deprivation that might occur to you even in comparison with those creatures around you. That you don't even possess what they possess. Are you willing to go to that extent? It's not just wherever, but to what extent? And that response of Jesus raises a question that we all have to grapple with. At what cost are we really willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's the issue. Sometimes following him does require people to be put in unusual circumstances that are not keeping with the norm. He called Abraham away from his country into a foreign land that he did not know where he was going. He did not have permanency there and he would be a pilgrim to this foreign land. And he was called away from his own family. He calls Isaiah. Isaiah in a very difficult time, in a very difficult circumstance, to a very difficult people, and he says, Isaiah, I am calling you, and you're not going to have much success in your ministry. But that's what I want you to do. So by the way that you see it, and by the way people will measure it, it won't seem very significant. In fact, it may even seem like a failure. But in my eyes, that's exactly what I want. You to do to follow me. The Lord wants each of us and every would be disciple. To face that very fact. To grapple with that issue. In our evangelism and in our teaching and in our discipleship. It is critical that we come back to emphasizing the kinds of things that the Lord himself emphasized. He was not calling people to an easy discipleship, nor a quick and uncalculated decision. Luke's gospel that we read from a minute ago makes this even more prominent. If anyone comes after him, he does not hate his father and mother and His wife and his children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, he says. If you don't love Jesus more than you love even your deepest relationships of family and friends, then you cannot be my disciple. It is not open for you. He goes on to illustrate. He says, you know, what builder is there that seeks to build a building, but he doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to make sure he can complete the building first. He calculates. He thinks about this ahead of time. Or what what king has a number of troops, and he's going up against battle against another that far outnumbers him. Does he not sit down first and weigh out and count his troops, comparing Them and sizing them up with their ability against those who would come against him. And does he not first do that? And what Jesus is saying is following him could cost you your closest earthly relationships and the dearest things you count valuable. And are you willing to follow me? And it really does work that way, people. Luke 14, 33 goes on, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, this is anything but what we're hearing today in modern evangelism and modern discipleship and. Easy professions and easy believism. What he means by that statement is is not that you must take a vow of poverty and divest yourself of everything that you have. He's clearly talking about a willingness to leave behind everything that would-be disciples professed, and he was prepared to do so. In fact, what you need to do, and every would-be disciple needs to do ahead of time, is just count everything that you have as but loss. Everything. Do it right now, up front, before you even start down the path. And then, if following the Lord, it becomes apparent that in order to do His will, you have already counted those costs and you've come to the conclusion ahead of time with full view of the price it's required, then you're prepared and ready by the grace of God to give up whatever you need to give up, to go wherever you need to go, to do whatever you need to do, and to live at whatever means and whatever level He's called you. To be. Now, now we're not talking about missionaries. We're not talking about pastors. We're not talking about elders and deacons and servants in the church. We are talking about anybody who wants to be a true, true, genuine disciple or a Christian. He addresses this not only with those who have proven to be steadfast followers of but he addresses it to the crowds indiscriminately. J.C. Ryle, who was an Anglican minister, says this, Nothing has done more harm to Christianity than to fill the ranks of Christ's army with every volunteer who is willing to make a little profession. Being a true follower of Christ requires everyone to do whatever and wherever Jesus has prescribed for your life. And that cost may be very great. So the first issue that we all have to grapple with is are we willing to pay whatever cost that Jesus would want you to make calculated ahead of time. And are you willing to do that? Think about the most valuable things, the most valuable relationships, the deepest core of what you have here on the earth. Now, are you willing to put that and count it all but lost for the sake of Jesus and the gospel? The second issue we must face comes from that second conversation with this would-be disciple. And that is one of priority. Will Jesus remain the priority of your life? And in that second conversation, it says, Then another disciple came to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In the second conversation that Matthew inserts here, he is Seeing a disciple making an appeal. First let me go bury my father. With the first disciple, the scribe, the very important word there is wherever. In this particular conversation, in the response of the second one, the important word is first. This has a reference to do with priority. Is Jesus... The priority in your life, does he remain the priority of your life? And that's what the issue is that we all have to grapple with that is brought now forward. The Lord's response was interesting. We really don't know the state of the situation here. We just hear a simple response. It could be that the man's father had just deceased, and in that day, a very quick burial would have taken place. So if that were the case, the man would be appealing for just a short time to go and let me care for that. But that is unlikely. More likely is it that the man was still living, and the request was for him to care for his father in the last Years or even days of his life. And then as the duty of the son to the father, he would bury his father. When I got all these things out of the way, then I would come and follow you, Jesus. And that, if that were the case, and the man was thinking, okay, now I'm released from all of my responsibilities. But either way, there was a delay that was first Requested. And in the man's mind, here the priority was his father. Now, the Lord has already said that there are times that you must demonstrate that the Lord is first and the first love of your life, even to those closest earthly relationships. And in that context, what is the priority? Our Lord's response is is really unexpected and quite amazing, especially in light of the clear teaching of the Bible that charges children with the responsibilities even of their aged parents. Children were always to honor their parents. Not just when they were in their homes, but always. Even to the dying day. And as we see from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 a passage that describes to us and informs us regarding our responsibilities to our parents. We are to provide for their material needs and even for a widow in our own family. And if you have a parent that is destitute and you are the child, you must first come to practice a godly piety by tending to your family and providing for Your parents in return for what they have done with you. And if he doesn't do that. He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Because even unbelievers do that for their parents. And that is the will of God for us. And what is apparent from Jesus' response that he gives to this second disciple that comes to him, is that there are times when people will be asked to set aside earthly ties for the sake of following the Lord and his will for their lives. Now, in general, and in the context of what we just looked at, we are obligated and we ought to be joyful in our undertaking of our parents, Who are in need. But nevertheless there are times. When we have to allow the dead. To bury their own dead. Now a dead person. Can't go bury another dead person. Jesus is actually here speaking figuratively. He's speaking of lost people. And for lost people. Their earthly concerns are their only. Felt obligation. And so, what Jesus is saying here, there are times when you might have to leave your unsaved family members to the care and responsibility of their earthly concerns to other members of your family. Now, that's a lot to take in, especially in light of the very clear teaching of what Jesus tells us our responsibilities are to honor our parents. But he's wanting to know what is your priority? What is your first love? What is your first obligation? What is your first responsibility? If you ever came to a decision like that or a challenge, how would you know? It's a situation that you're going to need a lot of wisdom through the Scriptures and much counsel. And you will have to carefully consider every circumstance on its own basis. If you want to be the Lord's follower, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, there will be times when these issues will come up and they will challenge and test you with, are you truly willing to count the cost Are you really willing to give everything that you count as valuable in this earthly life over to being a follower of Jesus? Are you really willing to even put Him as the first priority above all of your earthly cares and responsibilities, and He becomes the priority no matter what? If you're not willing to do that, you are not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And now we come to this third thing. Right on the heels of these two conversations, which are inserted into a pack of ten miracles, we come to miracle four and five. I'm sorry, we come to the miracle number four. And when we do follow the Lord, we are actually prepared for what will happen. Are we actually prepared would be the question for us to grapple with. Because our Lord will test our discipleship and what we say and what we think that we are willing to do. The Lord will test you. And that's where this miracle comes in. Let's look at it a little more closely because as he's already shown us, these go together. I know they go together because he begins in verse 18. And when Jesus saw the multitudes about him, he gave the command to part to the other side. Then we have this little interruption of two conversations. Then they get in the boat and they follow him to the other side. So we have in verse 23. Now, when they got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So he gave the command in verse 18. Let's go to the other side. His disciples follow him into the boat to go to the other side. Now, the Holy Spirit wants us to know, in the way that he's inserted this in Matthew, that the Lord was giving orders to his disciples. See, if you look at verse 18 again, it says, And when Jesus saw the great multitude, he gave the command to get in the boat to go to the other side. And everything that follows in this instance with Jesus and his disciples rises out of obedience to the Lord's command when he gave those orders. So the disciples got into the boat and they followed him. We know that some of these disciples were fishermen, but not all of them. Perhaps there was even one or two who didn't like boats. Maybe some who couldn't swim. Maybe that's true of some of you. Maybe you don't like boats. Maybe you can't swim. Maybe someone wants to take you in a boat out on a tempestuous Atlantic Ocean to travel three hours to go to lunch rather than taking the intercoastal waterway, which is more smooth. I don't know. It's a likely scenario. That really wasn't the issue. These people, there are people today, in fact, I know of pastors today in the Lord's pastoral ministry and their wives who will not get on an airplane to go do the Lord's ministry and to do the Lord's work because they are afraid of flying. Now, being afraid of flying is not the core issue, but the will of Jesus is. And if it is the will of Jesus for you to get on a plane to go serve him somewhere, that's what you have to do, then you have to do it. The command comes forth and a true follower of Jesus is doing what he has commanded. So they all got into the boat. And then verse 24 said, and suddenly a great tempest. Arose on the sea. So that the boat was covered with the waves. And you can just hear the conversation now. See I told you. I knew this was going to happen. That's exactly what I was afraid of. We're all going down. There's a test. Always for discipleship. And he was testing his disciples. There's a little quaint phrase right at the very end of that verse that we often overlook and we skip over it without really contemplating. We rush past it and it says there, but he was asleep. Now, either he fell asleep really fast or else there was a little bit of time being out on that boat before that storm came up. But what was obvious is he was probably very tired and exhausted from The previous day's ministry and and the long hours of serving. And he was asleep, but his disciples were not. And yet nothing could have displayed his humanity more in that hour, in that place, than that. That he was sleeping. Nothing is... More apparent of our weakness and our vulnerability than when humans are sleeping. In fact, when we're sleeping, we almost look like we are dead. And that demonstration of his humanity is the greatest possible contrast to what we see next. And then the disciples came to him and woke him, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And then we see our Lord's response to them, and our Lord's response tells us something about their emotional state and something about their spiritual state. And he says, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Emotionally, he saw that they were fearful. And spiritually, he saw that there is only a small amount of trust in him at this point. And the Lord questions that. Questions it in a way that is a rebuke. And what we have is a response that is both on the one hand exemplary. And yet also a negative illustration. It is exemplary in that they they did go to the right person and for the right thing. And they knew who to go to. And they knew what to do. But negatively on the inside. And God knows our emotional and our spiritual states. And God knows your emotional and spiritual state when you are dishonoring to who He is. On the inside, when you're fearful and distrusting of who He is. When you have just seen with your own eyes what has been going on all day before you got into that boat. And what he did yesterday and how he showed himself all to you with all those people all around him. And I have seen and you have seen him handle every situation that came to him and that we encountered. And now you're fearful and distrusting. It's possible for me to be a pastor and for you to be a parent. And on the outside, you do the right thing, but on the inside, you are displeasing to God. You might be directing people and even your family to pray and to look to the Lord. And yet on the inside, God knows the true state of your heart emotionally and spiritually. And those things can be displeasing to him. For who he is. So verse 26. But he said to. Them. No. Yeah. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. Now he speaks now. He turns from speaking to the disciples. And then he turns. in his gentle rebuke from the disciples to a commanding rebuke over the wind And the waves. And that rebuke, which immediately brought a perfect calm over the sea and the waves, gives rise to the question what manner of man is this? Who is this man? They knew he was a man. There's so much evidence in the Gospels that Jesus was a man that no one actually doubted his humanity. Even in spite of all that he did. But what sort of human was he? What is on display here for the disciples to learn from is that the one whom they chose to follow, this man, is a special man. He is different than any other kind of man. And when God finally did answer Job in his misery and complaint in that chapter that we read shortly ago. He asked Job. With the rhetorical questions that imply only one answer or who shut the sea with the doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling. When I fixed my limit for it and set the bars and the doors. And then I said, this far you may come, but no further. And here your proud waves must stop. Who was that? Who was it that Job longed to hear from? Who was it that finally broke the silence? And who was this that was questioning Job? With the implication, there's only one. The point that God was making to Job is that God knows about all these things in his life. God is in wisdom, have chosen this path for Job. And there's so much more that Job cannot see that he does not know that we have been privy. That God not only creates everything that is, but he also controls everything that is. And he's intimately involved in his creation, bringing it about exactly what he had planned And here is Jesus, he is a man unquestionably, but now he stands up and he utters the command for the wind and the waves to obey them, and they do. And it is evident that this is no ordinary man. So, As we come to the end of this message, there are four things for us to consider. And the first is this, are you willing not only to count the cost of what it may take to follow Jesus, but are you willing to pay them if and when He asks? Even if it means parting from your closest earthly relationships. Can you just go ahead and calculate right now and count it all but loss? follow Jesus. The second issue that we need to grapple with. Is this are you willing to keep Jesus the priority in your life? He might have taken you through a, a difficult trial and and you relied upon him because you cry out to him and you saw that he saves you and provided for you and brought you through. And now you're on the mountaintop and everything is going well. Will you be faithful in keeping the priority of your life then? Over all that you have, over all of your expectations, over all of your earthly possessions and lifestyle, are you willing to put Him the priority over your lifestyle? The level at which you desire to live and maintain and keep up, are you willing to put Him over all your relationships and your obligations and your responsibilities? Are you willing to go to that extent? And the third thing that we have to grapple with on the heels of those first two if you are, you will be tested in some way of your discipleship. You will be tested. And in the parable, the soils we saw, the one that falls on the hard, stony soil, those trials came to that one, but he was tested because of his discipleship. And he did not endure. But number four, if you have postured yourself and you're willing to pay all the costs, if you're willing to make him the priority, and you know that you're going to be tested, but if you have any doubt of what will happen when that time of testing comes, you need to be keenly aware of what kind of person this is who's leading you. And the passage just ends right there with that question. What manner of man is this? Who can do this? And he leaves that to sink into our minds. And he ends this particular passage with that question. That we all must grapple with in those times of difficulty. In those times of our discipleship testing. But who is this that's asking me to go this way? Who is this that's asking me to follow him into the boat? Into the tempest and the storm. Who is this man? And you need to work on that question to the point that the answer is what gives you the resolve and your strength and your faith to follow Jesus no matter what. You do a little calculation today, then in the tempest tomorrow. You will stay true because you will remember that this man Jesus is no less than the one that controls every event, and every circumstance around you. And Matthew has been wanting to drive the point home. Jesus is sufficient and he is authorized to deal with every trial and difficulty in this sin-fallen world if you but come to him in faith. And that's what he wants to leave us with. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray in the name of this man, Jesus. And we pray in the name of this God, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you will drive these truths into our inner man and make us willing and available in the day of your power. That as we have committed our lives and counted the cost yesterday, that we would follow you. We pray that that would be true today. And each day we would wake up, deny ourselves, and pick up our cross to follow Jesus. For each day brings forth a new experience and a new fellowship with our Father. Even new trials and new victories. Each day, may we live in a way that is honorable to you, not only on the outside. But may we have the grace to honor you on the inside with our emotional and spiritual state, for you know the heart, you know the thoughts of our heart, you know what we go through. May we find great joy, which is only the fruit of your spirit. May we be drawn closer to you in each trial that our eyes would be open and registering What great things you have done. May we not forget those things that you have done today and yesterday. So that when we're out on the sea. With Jesus in the boat and he's sleeping. We might take our comfort. That he is the God of all of that storm. And so we pray Lord that you would encourage us and strengthen our faith in the gospel today. And we pray this in his strong and almighty name. Amen.